well, they sang my sermon a lot better than I can preach it. <laughs> that was wonderful. Thank you, ladies. It's Mother's Day, as you know, a day created to appreciate a mother's life and love. And, uh, but maybe you didn't know that Mother's Day actually began on May 12, 1907, when Anna Jarvis memorialized her mom. And within five years, every state in the Union was memorializing their moms after the fashion of Anna Jarvis. And then in 1914, President Woodrow Wilson officially made Mother's Day Mother's Day, and here we are. Pretty cool, huh? But you did not know this, that after Mother's Day was established, it became commercialized. And Anna Jarvis spent the rest of her life trying to abolish Mother's Day. So, I don't know whether your Anna Jarvis, the one who began Mother's Day, or if your Anna Jarvis, the one who is trying to abolish Mother's Day, but happy Mother's Day. <laughs> and you know, on any day, um, because it's never one or the other, is it? I mean, there, I'm sure there was a gradation of feeling for Anna Jarvis and and some may be here this morning or may be watching from home today. And Mother's Day holds a mixture of much that is positive and maybe some that is disappointing. But what is important to realize is that gratitude is always good for the soul. And we're to give thanks and everything and there's always something for which we can find something to be grateful for and to give thanks. In fact, Paul encouraged us to read the room when in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, he said, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. So I'm not sure whether you're weeping or rejoicing this morning, but happy Mother's Day. I will be honest with you, this is not an exaggeration, uh, Mother's Day is the hardest message I ever have to preach. I put more into it, feel less qualified. I don't know, there's something about mom and preaching about not only mom and moms, but wanting to honor moms and communicate something of great worth on the subject of something that is of great worth and always feeling like you want to say something meaningful, serious, profound, and yet keep it a little light and add some laughter and everybody goes home happy. I think you can imagine it's not an easy task. 
One of the positive things also today is that we begin a new series. I'm calling it My Favorite Proverbs. So we'll be in the book of Proverbs. If you're not familiar with your Bible or the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is a body of wisdom right out of ancient Israel. And it begins with seven verses. And if you have your Bible open, turn to Proverbs. It's right after the Psalms. And the very first verse of Proverbs is what we call a superscription, or we could call it a title. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And then in verses 2 through 6, that immediately follow, it gives us a little content, a little introduction to the content of the book. And it tells us about the nature of Proverbs and acquiring wisdom, some of the terms. And then in verse 7, so we're not very far into this. You see, this is just a hop, skip, and a jump, and we're right there at the most important verse of the entire book. In fact, it's where it is because it should color everything you read. And basically, it's a proscript, it's a prescription a proposition, a thesis of what is most important, and really this is the programmatic statement of the book, and it is this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So all of Proverbs will benefit you because it is the getting of wisdom. If you have a very healthy respect for God, because it's all going to make sense, it's all going to come into view, it's all built on a very respectful relationship of, with God. Then we come to the very beginning of the book, verse 8 and 9. And if you have your eyes on verse 8 and 9, it says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction... And forsake not your mother's teaching. That's what we want to focus on this morning. If you were to imagine that we're beginning a movie, and every movie opens a little differently. In this movie, I imagine we're soaring above the clouds. Just imagine if you were looking at what is on camera through the eyes of a soaring bird. And we're sailing into this crystal clear blue sky and the sun just supercharges everything when all of a sudden we take this dive down and we're passing through the mist and the haze of these white, white clouds when all of a sudden on the underside we see the earth. It's coming fast into view, mountains, rivers, fields, villages. We light on an open window and inside this one home is a father, a mother, and a child. In fact, this home could be anywhere. Anywhere in the world. Wisdom is, this wisdom is for everybody, anybody. 
But since this is the wisdom of Solomon, then we know it's in the Mediterranean. In fact, we think of the land of Jesus, where he was born. Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. That's the kind of household that is in view in verse 8 and verse 9. That is the fundamental unit of life. I know that uh, in our sophisticated world of telecommunications, mass communication, we know what's going on all over in a split second. We're no longer alone. We know everything that's going on in this world. Sometimes too much to live a comfortably alert life because we're so distracted by the ills and woes and calamities and crises of our global perspective. And sometimes we forget how important, but how fundamental life is. It begins just like this, a mother, a father, a child. And that's where wisdom begins. Wisdom is not found at the top of a mountain. It's not the life pursuit that begins wisdom. It begins prominently in our own household with a child, a mother and father, and a God. Because God is the third person of this family unit. Verse 7 prepares us for... Verse 8, a father, a mother, and a child. Who's speaking? There are two voices that a child is told to listen to. Two voices, father and mother. But those two voices listen to a third. Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So a child is warned in verses 10 through 18. In other words, when this movie begins, it's just the three in verse 8 and 9. And then verse 10, the child's out in the world, listening to voices that are in conflict with mother and father, in fact, in conflict with the voice of God. And the picture is portrayed. These voices are voices that don't listen to God. And the voices lead the child into calamity, difficulty, and destruction. We immediately see it's important to listen to the right voices. Wisdom is not found in every voice. Wisdom is found in the voice of father and mother to begin with. And that's where we want to begin. Get wisdom. Gain life. Give life. These are the elements of the book of Proverbs. But every mother and father gets wisdom, gains life, and gives life in the context of a family. And that's why the child is encouraged to listen and not forsake their input, their wisdom. 
Theirs is trusted because no one loves a child more than father and mother. Get wisdom, gain life, give life, because wisdom offers a better version of life. We don't hear a lot about wisdom, but wisdom truly does give life. Not physical life. It's not the bearer of physical life. But it adds the quality to life that makes life worth living. You can have existence and not have life. Wisdom is the key to really having life, a quality of life. Wisdom is the life that helps you to appreciate life, to get the most out of life, to call it life as something positive. It helps us to understand the meaning of life, the value of life, the purpose of life, the objective of life. And so wisdom treats us to a better version of life than the life of folly or foolishness. That's the kind of wisdom parents want to give their children. They want their, li- their children to live a better life than they lived, even if that better life has to be built on their own mistakes. And wisdom can be gained by making mistakes. Since it's Mother's Day, and I want to focus on mothers, I want us to focus on verse 8 of chapter 1 and verse 26 of chapter 31. Let's look at verse 8 right now. And just the second part, but I'll read the whole thing. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. The word teaching is a fair translation. But the word is your mother's Torah. Have you ever heard the word Torah? It's a Hebrew word. It's used very commonly of the five books that begin the Old Testament, what we sometimes call the Pentateuch. It's often called the Law of Moses, the Torah of Moses. Torah can represent God's revelation, his instruction, and so sometimes it's commonly used to designate the whole Old Testament. But here, it's not the whole Old Testament. It's not the law of Moses. It's not the Pentateuch. It's the mother's Torah. It's her instruction. It's her wisdom, if you will. It's her guidance. And that I want us to keep in mind. Now turn to the very last chapter of Proverbs, chapter 31, verse 26. She, the mother, and this whole chapter is focused on the woman, the wise woman, the noble woman, the wise wife, the wise mother, the wise woman. In fact, the chapter opens with King Lemuel making reference to his mother and what he has to say, which he learned from his mother. 
And then we have this praise of a mother from verse 10 to the end of the chapter. And here we are right in the middle of that in verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom. So she knows when to open her mouth. And we may scoff, but I want you to know that's a lot. Of, it takes a lot of wisdom to keep your mouth shut. Some of you could do well to learn that. <laughs> See, if you preach, you get, to, you get to put those singers out there every once in a while. <laughs> she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Again, we have it translated teaching in this translation. It's the word Torah. Instruction, guidance. Do you know how the King James Version translates it? The law of kindness is on her tongue. I love that. I think that's beautiful. Every mother here, the law of kindness is on your tongue. Where did you get that? Where did you learn that? You learned it from an elite institution. You have all graduated, you mothers, from an elite school. And I want you to know that you have gained a divine expertise. And it's those two things I want us to appreciate. Because that elite school, you have been to the academy of bearing life. Let that sink in. You have graduated from the academy of not only bearing life, but caring for life in a way no man can boast or equal. And that does something. That makes you who you are. Albert Einstein got it right when he said, wisdom is not a product of schooling, but of a lifelong attempt to acquire it. You acquire a distinct, an elite sort of wisdom when you bear a child and you rear that child. You gain something that is special to life itself. Now, I'm talking as a man, so you may dispute this with me, but I want you to know I had a mother, and I'm married to a mother, and I paid a lot of attention to this, and I may not be able to speak with the authority that you have, but I hope I'm getting close to something that I'll bet even a mother has trouble putting into words but she knows in her heart. You know, when I was a kid, I wanted a dog. I wanted a dog in a worst way. And I kind of punished my parents. I mean, you know, cry and whine, mope. I couldn't be, you know. And I remember my parents discussing this. They didn't think I was ready. Why didn't they think I was ready? They didn't think that I was responsible enough. 
And I can remember my mom playing a card, so to speak, to try and get my dad to see it my way. And mom said, you know, I think he'll learn responsibility when he has to take care of an animal. That's true, isn't it? And my parents sat me down. They taught me about all the things. Now, this is a big responsibility, John. You can't take this lightly. This little doggie's dependent upon you for life. You have to feed it. You have to pick up its poop. You have to do all these things. This dog belongs to you. You know, I know that's kind of a... But that is what moms do, but they do so much more. They actually bear the life. And they are so committed because it is a part of you, a mom. And you nurture that life and you rear that life. And it's always been that way. Dads go off, you know, to war or hunt or fish or and bring back, even if they don't have to go off and hunt and fish, they go off and hunt and fish. And they bring home the bacon, right? But that child is yours in a way that it will never be dad's. You may fight over it, but that child is a part of you. And that is an elite school, which teaches you compassion to rear something, to bring something up in life. You have a compassion that other people do do not because of that mother-child bond. Moms, you are cultivated in a wisdom of caring, of caring for life. And that develops a divine expertise. That's the second thing I want us to appreciate, which is mentioned again in verse 26. A Torah, a law of kindness. See, that word kindness, translated kindness, is a very crucial word in the Bible, and it is the attribute of God. It's the word hesed. We pronounce or translate or, well, we... we, Phonetically spell it this way often, C-H-E-S-E-D. But it's pronounced with a kind of a guttural chesed. It stands for that relational glue that both people bring to a contract, a covenant, a relationship that keeps that relationship steadfast. And the Chesed is love. It's translated love. It's translated kindness. It's translated mercy. It's translated grace. It's all of that. It's a vital element of relationship. If that relationship is to become something truly beautiful. And God expresses that chesed. In fact, in Exodus chapter 34 verse 6. And it's not just one little verse. I'm not cherry-picking. This is where Moses has gone up on Mount Sinai because God said, prepare the people and you come up. And he's going to give Moses the law. Moses is with God in a most intimate way on behalf of this nation, this promise, this, this purpose of God on earth. 
And Moses says, show me your glory. Let me see your glory. Wouldn't we all want, I mean, if we had the guts, all of us want that kind of a, God, let me see something from you that's going to change everything about our relationship and deepen it. And God promises to show him. But he says, I can't let you see my glory with the naked eye, so I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. And as God passes by, there is a heralding of the attributes or qualities of God in verse 6. And the crescendo or the climax of God's character comes in two words in Hebrew. The chesed ve'emeth. That is, steadfast love and faithfulness. Or steadfast kindness and faithfulness or truth. These are our efforts to get at that quality that God has, that we need, that every relationship thrives on or it fails, it falls apart. The glue of human relationship is chesed, and it has to do with people forgiving each other, being loyal to, to one another, giving love when there isn't love coming back so that when that other love comes back, there's still a relationship. It's the heart of reconciliation. It's, it's the heart of compassion. It's the heart of understanding. It's everything that has to do with what's good in this world and why there's a family in the first place. And that is the character of God. And in John, the Gospel of John, verse 14, the very opening of what we call the preamble or prologue of the Gospel, where we begin out of this world, in eternity, we have this kind of omniscient perspective. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And then in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt in our midst, dwelt among us, tabernacled. It's actually the very, it's the Greek word for pitch your tent, which doesn't sound very elegant. But against the Old Testament, we know the background then. Why did he use pitch your tent right in our midst? Because God tabernacled. He pitched that big tent, which was the tent of meeting. The tribes were all about the presence and around geographically, spatially, the very presence of God where Moses would meet with God in the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. Now, John's telling us, Jesus, the Logos, has become flesh and tabernacled in our midst. And he goes on to say, we beheld his glory. Glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of steadfast love and faithfulness. But in Greek, it's translated grace and truth. Jesus embodies the character of God. And I believe that when mothers are sent to this elite school of motherhood, they come out of that with a Torah of chesed, kindness, compassion, because you've been through the school of giving life and 
cherishing it and rearing it. That's something very precious, moms. And you get wisdom. And you gain life from that. You gain a perspective that this world needs, that men need, that the men in your lives need. But not just them, not just your children, but neighbors. Share your life, share your Torah of kindness and goodness. Some pastors were arguing about which was the best translation. And people ask me from time, what translation would you recommend? You know, I'm going to go look for a new Bible. And in this uh, story, these pastors were arguing over which was the best translation. And one translation, one pastor finally said, you know, all those translations are great, but the best translation I know is my mother's translation. And his point, as he went on to explain, was that my mom turned the Word of God into an example. She lived the Word of God before me, in my presence. She modeled it. She brought it to life. That's the best translation of the Bible. It's been said mothers write on the hearts of their children what the rough hand of the world cannot erase. I really believe that. You know, my mom helped me to interpret my father. When he'd get angry, you know, that would instill a certain fear in my life. And my mom would help me to understand my dad so that I would approach him again, find a place in, in my life for him. Help me to understand why he's sometimes the way he is. My mom explained, interpreted. She helped me to understand other people in my life. She helped me to understand myself. She was my confidant, day and night. She, gave, she made sense of the world to me. And yet she pushed me and she gave me courage that I didn't have in myself. She gave me hope in myself. I, I can't say enough of my, about my mom. My mom died, I was not even two weeks past my 21st birthday. I can't count the times I have grieved the loss and wish my children had known my mom, wish my mom had been there at my wedding, the birth of my children. I'm not bitter. My mom gave me enough. She gave me enough as we sang this morning. Something indispensable. Something precious beyond words. Abraham Lincoln said, no man is poor who has a godly mother. So, get wisdom. Gain life. And then give life. That's the message. It'll be a lifelong pursuit to gain wisdom. But you'll gain life throughout the entirety of that pursuit. And it is the wise who give life. And you'll give life because you fear the Lord. 
Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for moms. Thank you for such an elite school and those graduates who graduate. And thank you for that divine expertise of kindness, compassion, mercy, forgiveness, grace. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.